Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another broadcast on the Soul of America Radio. Tonight, you're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, with your host, J.R. Thicklin. Tonight's broadcast is brought to you by Blog Talk Radio, hosted and produced by the Soul of America Radio. Comments made on tonight's broadcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Blog Talk Radio, the Soul of America Radio, or its host. Hope and Healing takes you from a place of pain, abuse, violence, rejection, and abandonment to a place of hope, healing, and power. All aboard with your author, activist, advocate, and friend, man of purpose himself, and your host for the evening, Mr. J.R. page of 
you would, a drama-free social media page where you can find healing, you can find worship, you can find scriptures, you can find songs. And then, if you follow me very closely, there's another page that we have there, Son of Selma, Lesson Learned. That's another one of our pages that you can find us there. And I also want to make you aware of another page out there and go to Harlem World. Harlem World is there um, for you to check out, too. You'll find out the very best that is offered by Harlem World, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as the show goes on tonight. Well, tonight is an exciting night for this reason here. Not only is it Labor Day, uh, but it's also, for many, it's been uh, the end of the first week of college football, and that's happening around us. And then not only that, we're right on the uh, about two days away, three days away from the beginning of the NFL season as well. And all those things are relative to the fact that I'm quite sure in our time together we will talk about each of those entities. We'll talk about the amount of violence, the domestic violence that is there, but we don't want to rehearse the problem. We want to talk about the solution. What is it that we can do? What is it that we must do? And what is it that we should do in order to help eradicate this issue of domestic violence? And when I say eradicate, I'm not saying that there's a wave of a magic wand and all of a sudden the issue of domestic violence is all of a sudden have disappeared from our society. But I'm saying when I say eradicate, I'm talking about systematic approaches. I'm talking about each entity and each individual taking ownership and responsibility for their behavior, for the actions, for the things that they actually perpetuate to the next generation. That is what I mean when I talk about taking ownership. That means the fact that we, if we're going to address this issue, we cannot address it, eradicate it, or any of those things with a blame and shame mentality. As a matter of fact, we must uh, really rise above that type of understanding, that type of thought process, and understand the fact that much of the violence that we see in our society is very deep-rooted. It is choices that have been made over a period of time. Unfortunately, choices that for many seem to work, to be able to exert power, to be able to exert force and control in order to get what you want to. Yes, if that sounds familiar, if it sounds like bullying, you're exactly right, because domestic violence is a form of bullying. When we look at this, when we see an individual that is able to exert their power, their strength, whether it be verbally, physically, whether it be intellectually, or any of those things there, in order to gain their way, it is a form of abuse. So that is what is important tonight, that as we begin to talk about eradicating these issues, we must be willing to step up and take ownership and responsibility for it. When we live in a society that is constantly driven by violence and by guns and by all kind of bluttery and egregious act, then it's no wonder that we have become somewhat numb of really the impact of this violence on our society. We in the blockbusters are normally the movies that is exploiting not only uh, guns and drugs and sex, but when we see these type things that are being played out in the media, it lets us know that our society has looked very much to these things as part of the fabric of who we are. And the only way that that can be changed is that we have to be a part of the change. We have to be the change agents in the earth today. And I want to take the opportunity today for us to be able to do so. Now, for a long time, as we talk about domestic violence, there are people who will, who will separate the definitions. Different states, different jurisdictions have different meanings to this word of domestic violence. Now, for some, when they say domestic violence, it is defined by law as any type of stalking, any type of aggregated, aggravated stalking, any type of assault or aggravated assault, any type of battery or aggravated battery that occurs between people that are married, 
people who are related by blood, people who may have a towel in common, or people who have resided up under the same roof together. And for that, that encompasses a lot of people. Let's go back through that list again. People that are related by blood. So that could be you, your sister, your cousin, your uncle, your brothers, uh, your aunt. Any of those people could be included inside of that. Secondarily, people that are related by marriage, those that have a marriage covenant together. Thirdly, people that may have a child in common. Fourthly, people that may have dwelt up under the same roof with you. All of those things represent the domestic or the interrelational uh, uh, point of the issue of domestic violence. The other word that is used for domestic violence oftentimes is interpersonal violence or intimate violence, uh, violence that happens between people who simply have an intimate relationship, one that is beyond, if you would, a platonic, but one that is an intimate relationship. And as a result of that, any of those things I previously have mentioned that occurs within that, it makes it IPV, interpersonal relationship or intimate partner violence, as we would call it. And those are the things that we look at. But I want to take it a little further because when we talk about family violence, it's once again one of those words that I'm very much convinced that is more or less of semantics to a certain degree when we talk about family violence. The only thing that makes it different is how we define family. So as we look at this issue of domestic violence occurring, as we look at it uh, taking place in our society, we have to admit that at the core of a lot of issues that we see happens because there is violence that is that is pouring out into the street but it's pouring out from our homes. Yeah, that's a hard pill to swallow in our society because no one wants to take ownership for what's happening in the home. No one wants to get that close. We think that it's just absolutely too close and too personal when we start talking about violence happening in the home. As a matter of fact, not only do we think it's too close and too personal, we'd rather not talk about it. We don't want to talk about it in the church. We don't want to talk about it in the courts. We don't want to talk about it in the schools. We don't want to talk about it because it feels a lot better to people to be able to point and to be able to blame and lay that violence and lay the excuse for violence and lay the excuse for these behaviors somewhere else. I tell you what, why don't we blame the government? Why don't we blame taking prayer out of school? And I'm not saying that these elements have not contributed to somewhat of the moral compass of where we are today and where we're going, but I am saying that, folks, we have to dig a little deeper than that. So we have to understand the choices that we make, the things that we do in society has framed the way that things have turned out for us in our society. In other words, there's an old, uh, there's a poem that was written years ago by Dorothy Law Note, which actually summed it up. And I've quoted this uh, many times. I often do so inside of trainings and seminars and those type of uh, meeting places, but I think it's worth bearing again. I think it's worth us taking a real critical look at the fact of why this issue is so important and why and how this issue impacts us from every walk of life to act as if that the issue of domestic violence is not somehow another perpetuated, that it's not somehow learned, is to really be in denial of what the issue of domestic violence is all about. It does feel a little better, doesn't it, when we can lay blame anywhere but at our own foot door. It does feel bad. But I love what Dorothy Law Note said. She said, children learn what they live. She said, if children live with criticism, they learn to condemn. If children live with hostility, they learn to fight. If children live with ridicule, they learn to be shy. If children live with shame, they learn to feel guilty. But conversely, if children live with encouragement, they, live, they learn confidence. If children live with tolerance, they learn to be patient. If children live with praise, they learn to appreciate. 
If children live with acceptance, they learn to love. If children live with approval, they learn to like themselves. If children live with honesty, they learn truthfulness. If children live with security, they learn to have faith in themselves and others. If children live with friendliness, they learn that the world is a nice place in which to live. Isn't it interesting when we look at the contrast and the comparison of what happens when children live in a certain condition that it produce certain outcomes? And that's what I'm afraid that we're afraid to deal with in America today. No, this is not blame the parent day. This is not necessarily beat up on the parent night. But what it is saying is that we as parents, we must take a very candid look and take responsibility and ownership for what we allow our children to see, to witness, what we allow them to take into their minds and their system. If they're inundated day in and day out with violence, whether they be violent video games, violent movies and television shows, derogatory violent music that they listen to, believe me, it, it is very simple, folks. It's very simple. It, it is really, uh, it's GIGO, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. If we put garbage in, garbage is going to come out. And as a result of that, we see it played out inside of our society. See, there are many people think that the real issue with domestic violence is an issue of violence, it's an issue of anger. But I need, and I submit to you, that the issue of domestic violence is not an issue of anger. Understand something. Anger is a natural emotion. Violence is a choice. The behavior that we choose is a choice of ours. And so what we have to understand is this, is that we have to take ownership. Why is it that you chose to choke that individual rather than to talk to that individual? Why is it that you chose to slap that individual rather than to walk away from that individual? Why is it that you chose to cut that individual rather than to dialogue with that individual? Those are matter of choices that we make. Our choice behavior happens because oftentimes it's been informed by our our lifestyles and our lives. Now, that's not necessarily blame. What I'm saying that oftentimes in terms of the lack of discipline, in terms of the lack of of really having a standard and, and having parameters in place, we often pay the price on the other end of it. Too often I think that we give in to whims and demands of even our children, even when they're undeserving. Rather than taking the moment to make a teachable lesson out of it, oftentimes the guilt of whether or not I don't want to be seen as a bad parent, I don't want to seem like I'm too protective, we often give in to that dichotomy going on in our mind, and as a result, we allow things to happen that should not be allowed to happen. And that's why we have to address this issue today, because it's very critical inside of what we're doing. Area code 323-784-9638, that's the number you can call in to listen in. And if you have a question or comment, we would like to hear from you today. If you have a question or comment, simply hit the number one on your keypad that lets our producer know that you want to get on the air, and we'll bring you on the air. Understand you don't have to give your name or information there, but we invite you in. Now, one of the things I want to share with you today is the story that broke today out of Atlanta. I was unaware of this story. It was forwarded to me by my colleague and friend that has often been on the air with us, uh, Dr. Douglas. And uh, she forwarded to me, and it was forwarded to her by a dear uh, by a dear colleague who was a guest on the show just a few weeks ago, uh, uh, former Deputy Chief uh, Michael Blow, forwarded to her. Nevertheless, it has been on CNN all day long, and it's a story that you've got to hear, and you've got to take time to look at it. Because it's a story that I think that each of us need to look at and take very close and pay very close attention to. This this issue takes place outside of Atlanta, Georgia, in the in the greater Georgia area. 
And it's interesting because here's the case where we have a mother that is calling the police, calling 911, I should say, because her two sons are trying to kill her and her husband. Ages 22, ages 17. And they literally have them begging for their lives. And for those of you that have visited our our, our, our domestic violence, uh, it is your business page or uh, J.R. Thicklin page, you can find this right there. You can find this right there in the midst of it. You can find this story. The link to that story is right there. You can find it there right at the bottom of it, and you will see exactly what we're talking about. This is crucial. This is very interesting. And I want you and I to recognize the fact that how cru- crucial this issue is. This issue is very crucial because of the fact it talks about this violence happening not between a boyfriend and a girlfriend, but it's happening inside of the family, the nuclear family. That is what I want to bring to our attention today. It is our business. It is our business to not only stand up, it is our business to speak out, It is our business to do what we need to do. It is our business to recognize that there is responsibility that we must all take if we're going to see domestic violence eradicated. And once again, eradication is not. It does not mean that uh, that that it all have disappeared. But the eradication we understand is systemic. That we have to do those things. We must have to. We must have certain barriers and certain standards in place. We must begin to check certain behaviors in order to really make this work and to fulfill what we're trying to fulfill. So that is what we're trying to do here. Eric code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That that's how you join us tonight. If you want to be a part of the show, and I'm going to take our first break tonight, and we'll come back once again with hope and healing, our journey to wholeness, right after this commercial break. and healing a journey to wholeness with J.R. Thicklin is coming back right after this. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio, LLC. This is the one and only Sword. violence in her lifetime. Every year, nearly three million children witness domestic violence right in their homes. Domestic violence is most likely to occur between the hours of 6 p.m. and 6 a.m. More than 60% of domestic abuse incidents happen right at home. Survivors of domestic violence face high rates of depression, sleep disturbance, anxiety, flashbacks, and other emotional distress. If you 
or someone that you know is a victim of domestic violence, or if you think someone is, reach out to them. If you are a victim, reach out to somebody. You can call the National Hotline right now at 1-800-799-7233. That's 1-800-799-7233. If you didn't have a chance to write that number down, call Jay Thicklin right now at 1-323-784-9638. Speak to Jay right now at 323-784-9638. And now, Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness, continues with your host, J.R. Thicklin. proverb that says the ruin of a nation begins in the homes of its people. That goes without saying. The reality here is the fact that we understand that so much that happens in our society can be traced back to the foundation of what happens in our home. Folks, we must understand this is a perpetual journey. We're literally shaping the minds of tomorrow today. And so because of certain behaviors, behaviors that are not necessarily helpful or uh, empowering, are healthy. These things often put us in a very, very uh, pragmatic state for our future. In many ways, we may be forfeiting the ultimate for the immediate. The immediate need to have control, the immediate need to be in dominance, the immediate need to intimidate, the immediate need for self-gratification, and all of those things there really, really uh, compact and really impact Families impact societies, impact us in ways that we can't even begin to articulate. So so it is that we want to take the opportunity today to open up our lines, to open up what we're saying, to open up the things that have been said today as it relates to the issue of family violence. I gave just a little excerpt of the story of what happened in Atlanta uh, earlier today. And this is something that I think we have to take very, very, and pay very close attention to. I think it's important to pay very close attention to it because of the fact of the impact that it has. Could you imagine the sense of out of control or the sense of uh, the sense of just total confusion and unbelievability for any parent to face when the very children that they birthed into the world is now trying to kill them, who is now injuring them or hurting them, bringing pain to them, 
Imagine this. Imagine how awkward this must feel. Imagine how this must impact each and every one. Imagine what it does to the psyche in terms of trying to figure out why. How did we arrive to this point here? What is it that was the tip, the tilt, uh, the tipping point? What is it that caused this to become an issue now? See, these are real questions that one asks themselves when they find themselves under fire, when they don't understand how did we get to this place? How did we arrive here? What is it that was said? What is it that was done? How did we arrive here? How can we go beyond this? How can we get beyond where we are even right now? Because it's very important. It's important that we recognize the fact that this here oftentimes is the outward show of pain that many have suffered for years, the pain of abandonment, the pain of rejection, the pain of unfavorable comparison, the pain of abandonment, the pain of loss, that type of pain that transcend so many other things, that goes so very deep into the very core of one's spirit, that pain that is so deep that it causes one to actually define themselves by it, the pain of feeling unworthy because dad never was in our lives or because dad chose to attack us or because dad chose to beat mom. The pain of this is unbearable in many cases. And as to being unbearable for many, it is a case where many find themselves dying, wrestling with the trap and the entrapment of this, vowing on one end to never, ever be a partaker of it, only to live a reality where this has become part of their very fabric. That is the pain of the issue of domestic violence. That is the pain of what happens when we fail to recognize what impact and the damage that is being done. See, tomorrow is being trained today. Tomorrow is being shaped today. The leaders of tomorrow are being trained today. Unfortunately, the victims of tomorrow is oftentimes being trained today. We have a moral responsibility. We have a godly responsibility. We have a godly responsibility. We have a civic responsibility to stand. It is our responsibility that we have. We can no longer afford to just pass the buck. We can no longer afford to just turn our heads because lives are at stake. The generations ahead are at stake. How is it that we handle conflict? How is it that we handle ourselves? How is it that we are people that recognize the fact that we're called to not only be civilized, but we're called to love? That's what we're called to do. Last I look, abuse is not love. There's no way in the world you can make abuse love. There's no way to make abuse look like love. There's no way to translate abuse to love. Violence itself, when used as an instrument of control, when used as an instrument to manipulate is a violation of one's very, very being. 
We have an obligation to each other. We have an obligation to ourselves. We have an obligation to our society. To be mouthpieces, to speak out against this moral evil, to demonstrate demonstrable love regardless of what is going on around us. Because we're charged and we're challenged today to take it to a different level. Now, it doesn't take a whole lot for people just to remain on the surface. It doesn't take a whole lot for people just to sit on the fence. But I promise you it takes dedication. It takes not only dedication, but it takes, if you would, vision. It takes being sold out so that you can be a part of what's going on. We have an incredible responsibility to change our world, one person at a time. We have an incredible responsibility to make things right and to make things better. We have an incredible responsibility to one another to be the voice of reason. And that's what we must be in the midst of this. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us tonight. That is how you reach us tonight on Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness. So what is it that we do when we are dealing with the issue of violence that is happening, the display of violence in our home, the display of violence in our family? When did it start? I wonder how well do we really recognize the behavior of ourselves, and then how well do we recognize the impact of our behavior on our children? I want to say that for a second. How well do we recognize the impact of our behavior? On ourselves, and how do we recognize the impact of this on our children? It's very important to keep both of these in mind because, once again, I just read to you children learn what they live and they live what they learn, and we've got a long way to go. And so, the behaviors that are displayed right now are things that inform our children about right and wrong, that informs them about whether or not it's good or bad. It is what informs them of who they are, and what their responsibilities are. So it's very important, very, very important that we take the proper step in order to eradicate this issue here. So I'll take us once again, and, and I'm, I'm doing this again for the sake of uh, those of you that are joining us right now that may be joining us, but I want to take us back to the story that we started off with. When we start off with the show tonight about the story out of Atlanta, and it's quite a compelling story there. And if I could get piped in, I don't know if I could get it piped in enough for us to hear just a CNN, CNN report of it, but you can definitely find the story. I will try to make sure that I can get it all the way up, the volume up, and hopefully we can get a decent uh, sound with this. And so that's what we want to do in order to really get you to hear this 911 call and this story. So stay tuned. Yvonne were brutally attacked in their suburban home outside of Atlanta by their own sons. Yvonne frantically called 911 for help. She stated to our 911 operator that uh, her sons were trying to kill her and her husband. Neighbor Clinton Miller tells CNN affiliate WGCL she saw Zachary Irvin Saturday morning after the attack. We didn't really know what was going on, but we did see, uh, we did see the servant outside and they had him. Uh, on the ground, and he was uh, bleeding pretty badly. 
Police say Irvin had blunt force trauma to the head and several stab wounds on his back. Yvonne also beaten, but was alert and conscious enough to call police. This is video of 17-year-old Cameron Irvin and his 22-year-old brother Christopher as they were booked on charges of aggravated assault with intent to murder and first-degree arson. Authorities say the house smelled of natural gas, and they believe the brothers tried to set the house on fire. The alleged crimes? A shock to neighbors. The Irvins are both expected to survive. No word yet on a possible motive. Police say both brothers were taken into custody immediately and have been cooperative. The 17-year-old has been charged as an adult. Both are expected in court sometime this week. As you listen to that um, report there that has come from CNN today with this particular story here, and uh, we'll, we're going to make sure that we lowered the volume on any other story there, this is a travesty. This is a travesty. We see what happened. Look like unexpected attack uh, from the two sons upon their parents. There, blood, uh, blood trauma uh, 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 to the head, a stab wound, uh, the smell of gas, and, and, and an attempted arson, and all of those things happen. The question is, how does this come to be? How is it that we raise children from from infants? And we raise them, and as they grow, when is it that this all begin to happen? When does this change happen? When does this transformation happen? When does when when is it that this behavior is now becoming embedded in their mind? When is it that their psyche they have been informed to believe that violence is the way that you handle things? That's a legitimate question I'm asking. Area code 323-784-9638. Area code 323-784-9638. That is how you reach us. If you'd like to be a guest or have a question and a comment, just simply hit number one on your keypad if you're calling in, and that lets our producer know that you want to get on the air. You don't have to give your name, but we would like to have you on the air. We'd love to hear your comment and your questions if you should have one tonight. But I rolled that question out to you. When do we recognize it? How do we go from seeing this little baby? How is it that we go from seeing this little baby that we've raised as an infant, and then the baby all of a sudden becomes this killer or becomes this person with this form of behavior? How do we go from this little cute kid that we saw in the nursery, the cute kid that we took pictures of and and we showed them off to everybody. At what point are their lives so impacted that they become aggressive, domineering, manipulative individuals? That's the question today. Eric code three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That's how you get in. If you have a question and or comment, simply hit the number one. That's right, hit one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to get on the air, and we will get you on the air tonight. Uh, just simply hit the number one, and we'll like to bring you on the air on tonight. That's the real question that's going on, and I wonder how many of you that are listening tonight would dare share about when does it happen? When do you think it happens? What happens? When do we go from being, oh, that's my baby, this is my cute little, uh, you know, innocent kid? What happens to transform them from that innocency? 
to an individual who literally would try to take the life of their own parent, of their own friend, their own loved one. What happened? That's the question that's before us today. Erico three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That is how you reach us tonight. Uh, this is J.R. Thickling. You're listening to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. And we welcome your comments and your calls on tonight as we're dealing with this very important subject with the family violence. And there, when family violence, when we look at it, is domestic violence. And yet it's still, you know, there once upon a time in the late 70s and 80s, we had songs that, that spoke to the strength of family, that spoke to, uh, if you would, the joy of family. I believe it was the Pointer Sisters or Sister Sledge, I guess it was, who had the song, We Are Family. I got all my sisters and me. It was so many that talked about family and those songs and those things were hallmarks that reflected our reality at one time. But where did we get to? How do we go from this to that? That is the question that's before us today. We invite your questions and our comment. And I'd like to get your question and comment. Simply hit number one on the keypad. And I want to take that question or comment right after this commercial break. I'll be right back after this break to take your call. You listen to Hope and Healing. A journey to You're listening to the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 323-784-9638. 323-784-9638 This is Soar. You give Jay a call right now. And now, back to the show.
welcome back to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. This is your host, J.R. Thicklin, and we're so glad that you've joined us here tonight on the Soul of America Radio Network, and so glad that you've joined us tonight. And for those of you that are just chiming in, you're listening to us. And what we're dealing with here is now, uh, but uh, we're dealing with the fact of the issue of family violence and domestic violence and we're dealing with a case that just happened today in outside of Atlanta, in Georgia, where uh, the mother calls 911. And for those of you that are just listening to me, um, we played excerpts of that just a few minutes ago, where the two sons, ages 17 and ages 22, literally attacked their mother and father, stabbing and, and blood blunt uh, trauma to the head and, and attempting to kill and uh, uh, attempted arson of the house. And all these things happen. And yet it's still important to the neighbors and those around. These are well-behaved kids. These are, this is a good family. And and there's a lot of things to come out from that. And the question to us all tonight, however, it's a question I've raised, is the fact, uh, is when do our children change? At what point that that switch goes on. What What is it that informs this type of rationale? What is it that would push anyone to the point where they feel like this is it, that the only alternative or the only way out or the only way of relief or the only way to be seen, to be understood, to be noticed, to be validated is that I have to result to violence, and even if that violence means taking you out. None of us have a crystal ball to be able to see, you know, the time that we stand in that nursery behind that window, looking behind that window, seeing this brand-new baby and this kid. None of us have that crystal ball to be able to say when that when or what this kid is going to turn out to be. See, the same kid we was holding and the same kids that we were passing to other people and other folks were kissing and, 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 and playing with their cheeks and all those things there. How is it that that kid through life's conditioning and life's circumstances, how does that kid end up being now this kid who is violent? This kid who is now abusive. This kid who now chooses to hurt rather than to help. How is it that we miss the early warning signs? Does anyone care? Does anyone see this? doesn't matter to anyone anymore are we just going through the motion have we become a society that simply goes through the motion do we understand the impact of current behavior on the future of our families the future of our children the future of society have we really thought it out that far i don't know that's the question before you today, Eric 323-784-9638. Come on, we invite your comment and your questions. Uh, just to put the number one on your keypad, if you're calling in by phone, Eric 323-784-9638, simply hit the number one on your keypad. That lets our producer know that you want to get on the air, and we'll get you on the air tonight. Uh, you don't have to give your name, but we'll love to engage with you on tonight. And we bring you in even now, and I think we have a caller on the air. I'm going to bring on caller number ending in 2727. We bring you on tonight to Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness. Thank you so very much for joining us. You're on the air. Well, I don't know 
how and when it starts, but I do know what mm-hmm. we're lacking in our families is our family prayer, what we used to do old time, you know, old school. We used to teach our children about praying. We used to teach them about the ways of the world and, and taking prayer out of school and and all this new age stuff that's going on. I, I think it, it plays a lot on their minds. We need to know what they're watching, know what they're doing, you know, who they're associated with. You know, we don't know these things anymore because we don't take um, time to learn these things. You know, everything goes now. Everything doesn't go. And you wonder why your children are out doing certain things out in the world because you allow. You don't take time. You don't You don't stop and listen. You don't listen to their cries. You don't listen to their hurts and their pains. Too busy because it's so busy. Everything is going so fast now. You know, I it is is very um hurtful to hear but when did we stop teaching them to honor their their mother and their father when did we stop doing that you know because i believe that's something that we were taught as little little kids back in the day you honor your your mother and father your days may be short but i i, I don't see that a lot I see young, you know, mothers going out with their children or drinking with their children and, and, and smoking with their children other than, you know, teaching them how you want them to be, you know, in society and, and be men and women of honor and respect if you're not teaching it. I, I, I'm kind you, of You have some very valid points. And your points are very valid, and I and I like where you started. Your your first answer was very very straight to the point. Said, well, first of all, we're not praying anymore, and and let let's go back to that. And for those that are listening tonight, you say, okay, what well, I mean, what praying gonna do? But I would dare to say that praying did a lot. Praying mm-hmm. allowed an opportunity for one to reflect on what's happening and an opportunity to talk to God, an opportunity to cast their care, so to speak. Praying gave an individual an opportunity to really stop, look, listen, consider. I submit that praying oftentimes gave us a way to, if you would, lay our burdens at the feet of God and not lay them on one another. I submit that perhaps that not only did praying allow that time, but the moments that it took for parents to help teach their children how to pray was quality time. It was a time of intimacy. It was a time that took them away from the rest of the world. It was a time that divorced them from being in front of a television and a time that called them to understand that everyone in this house mattered. I think the other part that you said that you kind of reflected on inside of even that is the fact that the matter we don't know where our children are. We don't know who they are. We don't know because there is no intimate time that is spent with them anymore. Remember this little thing that we used to have in our homes, and many of us still have it in our homes, but we just don't use it. Uh, we don't use it simultaneously, and that's called the dinner table or, or the table. You understand uh, that thing that 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 sat in our kitchen and in our dining area. Yeah, that thing, that thing, whether it was oval or or, or octagon or whether it was rectangular, and we sat there 
and we sat there together, and it was the time that we broke bread, if you would, together. For those of you that don't understand breaking bread, we ate together. We talked. We asked about how was your day, what's going on with you, what happened at school, what happened at work, did you have any challenges today, what happened, did you have any trouble today. It was a time of dialogue, and we had that opportunity to share and to exchange. From that little time at the dinner table or even a breakfast table, from that little time at the table, we had an opportunity to observe one another's behavior, our children's body language, our children's antics, their facial expression, their emotion, their countenance. From that little time at the table, we had an opportunity to to see and examine and hear from their mouth what was bothering them. But today, that table is no more than decorative furniture. Today, that table is no more than a space filler. It fills the space in most homes. It is not where we really have that time. The the oh my, listen, the, the, the table, the dinner table was like the family altar. It is where we came, and now that dialogue isn't there. We don't talk. Oh, let's see, why don't we talk? You just got through saying it. We're so busy. What are we busy trying to do? Trying to get more. Trying to get more, trying to make ends meet, trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to have what we think, I'm trying to give you a good life. Well, let me ask you a question. Is it really that good right about now? The values of our society have gone down in such a uh, declining way at a record pace. Is it really that good right now? May I submit to you that in the day of accelerated gratification in the day of thirst and greed in that in this day and time that we live in perhaps we've gotten what we wanted but we lost what we had we've lost our children we've lost generations we've lost the ability to know what each other think we've lost the opportunity to impart into them we've lost the valuable connection that is so missing today and so what is it that we do we find a way to please ourselves don't we please ourselves? We make ourselves feel good. Well, I was able to get my kids this. I was able to get them that. I was able to get them the iPhone. I was able to get them the iPad. I was able to get them the iPod. I was able to get them everything. And everything I got them was about I, I, I. But let's, let's really make it very, very personal here. It wasn't about the I. It was about really the you. Because guess what? Them being occupied with the iPad, the iPod, the iPhone, and all that kept them out of our hair. It caused them to be entertained by themselves. Self-entertainment did not produce family interaction. Self-entertainment does not produce that fellowship with one another. Now we don't even know what's happening with each other. We don't know that our child has joined a gang because we're not paying attention because we continue to think that we can buy them a few things, give them a few things, buy them enough tokens and trinkets and gifts, and say, listen, you know that I love you because look at what I bought you. And when the reality is that when we wed on the scale of justice and the moral moral counter of our today, what we recognize is not... It's not enough. It doesn't equate. You could not buy enough to to make up the difference in the deficit within their spirit, within their own self-identity, within their own self-esteem. And that is why today we have no idea who we are. Hmm. Then we wonder, how did this happen? It is an amazing thing that has happened here. Continue on, caller. Your, your your answer was right on it, and I just want to continue to engage that answer inside of that because of the fact we must be willing to invest the time. 
I agree. I, I really think, you know, at this point in time, if we're trying to get them back and we see them going down the wrong path, and whether that we see them going on the wrong path or not, we don't know what their days are like when they're in school. We don't know what their days are like when they're not around us. So I I challenge us to, to pray for their minds, to cover their minds that they don't do the things of the world and that they continue to do what is right at all times. So I would pray for their minds. Pray that pray that, that that they're covered. Pray that that nothing that is that is not of God it enters in. And if it does, that they know the right way. They know the foundation because we we've already taught them that. You know that's something I, I challenge myself. I challenge any, anybody else out there as a mother. You know, as a father. You know, do what you can. Speak life into them because the world is already out there to tear them apart. We're the, we're the ones who are building them up. You bring up such a great point there, and I want you to stay on the line because we're going to bring on the line. We have another caller, my colleague and friend, uh, uh, Dr. Douglas. I'm going to bring her on the line to also engage in this uh, dialogue with us today. And, uh, Dr. D., you're, you're on the airway. I want to say this just before you, you comment there because our, our other caller there has brought up some very interesting points. And one of the things that she talked about was the fact of uh, the, the words like, you know, we were taught, even in our day, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land. You know, it was long life. And I recall as a child, that was the foundational scripture that literally struck the fear of God in my heart that kept me in a sense of honoring the posture of honoring my mother. I mean, that was mother's way of saying, "Look, listen here, if you want to live a long life, you've got to honor your father and mothers. But I say the dynamics have changed so much. It has changed in so many ways because, you know what? So for so many homes, guess what? For so many homes, the, 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 the notion of honoring father and mother is not even possible because father is gone. They're silent and missing. They're not there. And so there's mother who's now overwhelmed, who's working two and three jobs and a half and things, and so therefore not in the home to be able to guide anything. So we have a, have a double generation of latchkey kids, and so much is missing there, and we don't know our children. And so now they're, they're acting up in school, and we're trying to say, well, I, that's not what I taught them, but I'm afraid that children are no longer just being taught by their parents, that now they're being taught by everything else as well. So we welcome your coming and, and to join in this dialogue tonight, Dr. D. Well, good evening. I just wanted to point out that um, I just noticed online that was posted about eight minutes ago that these young men have not yet been appointed defense attorneys and that they are being questioned by the police. Uh, in no way am I defending their actions because I don't understand their actions and they are being accused because the mother said this is what they were doing and the police found them in in the presence of their wounded parents. But I'm not defending them, but I am saying that they have they must have had some motive. We don't know what could have happened. We don't know if they were defending themselves and overtook their Absolutely. parents. We don't know that. We don't know. Um, what we know is that the, the boys have come, from, according to neighbors and family, the boys came from a good family. They came from a church-going family. Uh, it was very uh, unlikely that anyone could suspect that these boys would do this to their parents. 
So we don't know what happened in the home that could have made this occur. That's the big question. The fact also is that young they are young people, and coming to their defense or coming to support them in any crime they may have been indicated that they committed, it would be their parents. In this case, their parents can't come forward to say, son, don't speak until you get an attorney. There's no one there helping them. So there's an appeal, even though these boys, these boys may be guilty, but there's an appeal looking for other real, close relatives that can help to talk with the boys to see what really happened, um, what occurred. You know, did you really do this? Was there a mistake, et cetera? There's so much. So before we condemn them for what they're suspected of doing, let's pray for them, as, she, as the other caller said, pray for the family, you know, that they have the strength to get through this and that the boys will get some help if they actually did this. So, um, you know, it's so suspicious, you know. You know, it, it's interesting because even as you say that, and about and about this particular family here outside of a Atlanta area, there, when we look at that, I mean, it's a tragedy in any way and sense of knowing. One thing that you said that is so true, and, and we know that this happened oftentimes. This could be this could be many different ways. Could it be the fact that perhaps this was the father and mother that was actually engaged in this, and perhaps uh, you know the children may have been trying to intervene, and the mother, out of her own fear, perhaps called the police and said that we don't know, and I'm quite sure the truth will come out in terms of this. But what we do know is that every day in this country and every year we see so many cases where this type of violence have have just have have just really spread it in in a tremendous way. We're still trying to figure out from time to time what is it that caused. You know, I mean, the greatest thing about domestic violence, oftentimes, is the pain that it causes for people on both sides. Right. People that know the perpetrator, people that know the victim, people that know the perpetrator who often say things like, "Boy." I can't believe he did that. That's not the guy he is. Or I can't believe that he would do something like that. And oftentimes not even recognizing that perhaps this person has been suffering in silence. Not always the deceptiveness. Though deception does exist, there are cases where I do believe what I call the pot boils over. And I'm not saying it's necessarily anger, but I am saying that it's a, there's a trigger point that happens sometime in people's lives. And, I, and we see this happening over and over again. People that have lived forever, to seem like their whole lifetime, depressed, suppressed, oppressed inside of so many things. And that's why I said earlier that many times, you know, why is it that we choose the behaviors that we choose? Why is it that we choose to, to cut rather than to talk? Why is it that we choose to shoot rather than to negotiate? Why is it that we choose one behavior versus another? And it has to go back to how we informed how are we informed? Is, 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 do we see people talking it out? Did we come up in environments where people actually dialogue and work things out? Did we ever? Did we really witness healthy problem solving? Are we informed by quick solution or what we consider quick solution? You know, in the area of people dealing with suicide prevention, they talk about suicide is a permanent is you know it is it, a permanent end to a temporary problem. It's a permanent solution to uh, to a temporary issue because oftentimes the issue is what's current, is what I'm dealing with. But we answer it in suicide by 
a permanent end. And so often with domestic violence, you know, even in terms of the fact that those who who, who deal with it for for long periods of time, Mm -hmm. those who have suffered in silence, and I'm saying those who have suffered in silence not only as the as the victim, but oftentimes the, the perpetrator, who have mm-hmm. suffered for years up under these type of things. And when does it come out? And I just think that it, it raises a whole different set of questions, even inside of getting to know people. Do we really know who we know? How, I mean, what other conversations have we had? You know, we're living a day and time. We got to go beyond. What's your favorite color? <laughs> what's your favorite movie? <laughs> You know, do you like action or do you like romantic movie? Do you like comedy? There has to be a much deeper conversation. You have to kind of know what is it that informed the way you think. What was your background? What was your family like? How do you solve this? How would you solve this? Mm-hmm. And and more and more we're, we're seeing it happen. You know, whether these young men are found guilty or not, Unfortunately, we're seeing too much of this happening all over, all over the country. And I hate to say it, that more and more we're seeing more brutal things happening in the presence of children. Just less than a month ago, where there in, in Louisiana, how is it that a son can witness a father, the man, beat his mother to death with a bat in front of him? And we not think that it has some type of uh, impact on them long term. And those are the things that we're, that we're dealing with in our society. And Dr. D and our other caller here, uh, you know, um, it, it's it's one of those things. I, I continue to ask the question, when is it? When does the switch go on? When, wh- at what point have we created a monster, so to speak? At what point have we now the tra- the trauma from what a person have gone through has has impacted them to the point that now they 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 choose these type of behaviors today of uh, this way at what point because surely oftentimes the primary individuals don't see it they keep they continue to think it's just between them or they don't want it at all. But it is happening. It is informing the way we see the world. And too many, even our young men, are finding themselves in, in juvenile detention centers in the correction system early because they're there trying to defend mom or they're jumping on or they're killing or attempting to kill the, the perpetrator in mom's life. Or if they happen to escape that, they find themselves in in trouble early. So when you do the assessment of them, you see this history Domestic violence in the background. So I, I, I open that up to the to the both of you that are on the air, and to those of you that are listening and that like to get on the air. Erico three two three seven eight four nine six three eight. That's how you reach us, and you can hit the number one on your keypad after you get in, and that lets our producer know that you want to get on the air, and uh, we'll like to take it from there in terms of that. So I, I, I mean, I pose that question to the audience at large and definitely to the two of you. I don't know if there's an answer for it, but I, I don't know. I mean, do we even care at what point is enough enough or what point that is a tilting point point in the lives of individuals at what point? I just, I just believe it goes back to we we have to pray. We is so much lacking and, and, and so much happening in the world, and and 
whether anybody believe it or not, we are living in the last days. We are going through, there are things that are happening beyond our own imagination that are horrific that we would never think in a million years that will happen. But it's a lack of prayer. It's a lack of faith. It's a lack of believing that if we pray and we truly believe that God will do, he will do, or he will protect, or he will cover us at all times. And, I, and I'm, I'm, it, it, it's sickening, but if we don't cover one another, if we are not our brother's keeper, who is? Who's doing it? Who, who, who's protecting our kids when, when they're not in your presence? Do you pray for the teacher? Do you pray for Do you pray for whoever's in the authority over them? Do you pray for them when they're in their jobs? Do you pray for them when they're in their cars? Do you pray for them that their minds minds will stay in, in a good way instead of you know going going left and doing something that is so unbecoming of them? They may be good kids. But there may be something that triggered it, like you said, something that happened in their life, something that they saw, something that someone did to them. But if unless we know, unless we pray, unless we come together, we'll never know. We'll never know what to do. Absolutely. Dr. D, I mean, what what is that we do? I, something was said earlier, and, and it was this. You know, there was a time, and there was a time, where we really took the time to talk. And when I say time to talk, I'm not just dialogue, but we took the time. You know, my, my parents, for us, they made a clear delineation between right and wrong. There was a clear delineation between that which was the world and which was not. And, and matter of fact, it, 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 in many ways, it caused me to understand that the world wasn't meant to be this one little happy melting pot and everybody just join hands together and sing kumbaya, but rather the fact that there are some evil things and evil people in this world and there's some good. And that definitely I wanted to be on the side of the good. I wanted to do those things that was good because good just always felt better than bad and evil. Good always produced something that, that, that was uh, that what we call transferable inside of people. But today, I'm, I'm afraid, and, and definitely I'd like to hear your opinion on this, are we living in a day and time for the last probably 20 to 30 years where there is such a blurred line that there is no black and white, but there's there are 50 shades of gray? You know, you've made some really good points there because the big word is communication. When do we talk? We really need to talk. And that is it, communicating with one another. And um, the caller mentioned a family time, how we did things as families at one time. And it's a callback. Um, it's a callback to do things such as that. And you mentioned the, the dining room table, people coming to dinner together. That's lost. And that was talked at one point in this generation. That was talk time when we came together at the dinner table. How was your day, et cetera, as you posed earlier? The same thing is um, family night. What happens family night? Okay, everybody doesn't play videos or watch the same programs at the same time, but there may be a time to say we're going to play a board game. Whether you like it or not, as the parent, as the person in control, whether you like it or not, we're going to, for example, play a board game or we're going to tonight everybody goes around and goes and says a Bible verse. Whatever it takes to collectively get people to start talking. Um, there's even for grandparents, there's even a time when you're working with your grandchildren and you're teaching them to bake or to iron. People don't iron anymore. Grandparents do. But teaching them how to do those things and talking. Hey, how, what happened today? How are things going? Did anybody try to say something incorrect to you while you were out at school? It's like just ask questions 
get them to talk, get them to children to turn away from the video Xboxes and the Internet, et cetera. And even if you have to get join them to say, well, parents or grandparents who have a very significant part in the children's lives today, is to say, what are you playing? Or can I play? Or teach me. There's so much that children can teach one another, but the main thing is to communicate. And the two brothers, evidently in this situation we've been referring to, they were communicating with one another that they both came together to do what they have been suspected of doing. And that is so the same thing. I was um, at a, a dinner barbecue the other night, and uh, the husband turned to me, the husband, the mother, and the daughter. And he said to me, it happens to be his daughter, but not the the woman's daughter, the wife's daughter, and they've been married about four years, and the daughter is a young teen. And he said, now that my daughter has gone away to college, I can give my wife 100% of my time. And I said, are you boasting about that? He said, I am. He said, because, I said, so you're saying that you have not been giving 100% of your time to your wife? He said, no, I haven't, because I have a daughter here. And I so I said, well, as a person with an obligation and commitment and responsibility and loyalty to the two people they love most, you have a responsibility to give 100-100. He said, then what do I have? I said, you don't have anything because your first responsibility is to these two. I said, for instance, if you had to make a choice between the two of them, say it was a, you were drowning, and you can only have an opportunity at one time to save either one of them or both of them, I said, what would you do? He said, well, I would choose my daughter. I said, why wouldn't you choose your wife? He said, because she's had a life. My daughter hasn't had a life yet. So I said, so you're making the judgment and decision to let your wife go so you can save your daughter. He said, yes. I said, well, you're all wrong answer. By that time, I was getting fired up. Plus, I'd been eating a whole lot of barbecue. So I said, <laughs> <laughs> I said you know, the right, that's all the wrong answer. Let me give you the right answer. The right answer is a part of communication. Your wife, since you're a family, you are to instruct or say to your wife, honey, Grab hold of my daughter, and then I can pull you two in together. You only have one opportunity, but that's when you work together and you talk about it. You don't have the right to make the judgment. There's only one supreme that can make the judgment. Mm -hmm. And he's telling you now, he's coming through you as God is in you, to say that there is no one to be left behind. I don't leave my children behind, and if you're one of my children, you don't leave any of your brothers so you get them to communicate and talk, the wife to the daughter. Honey, hold on to her, and I'll pull you both in. He couldn't understand that. He couldn't get it. But the more I thought about it, it's the same as what, what you were bringing up with talk, talking to one another, to communicate. And that's the only way we can help to save one another and each other. 
and and that 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 word communication is such a big word. And when I say big word, not because of the fact that it's hard to pronounce, not because of the fact it's phonetically challenging, but it's it's a big word because of the fact it's a necessity. It is a necessity, and without it, we do not stand a chance to be able to to thrive or to be able to navigate through this thing that we call life. And, and it's so important. And every time we defer it, every time we defer it, believe it or not, we're causing problems. We're causing hurt. We're, 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 we're you know we're missing opportunities because it'll come. Do we even have those conversations? Have we ever thought about what would we do if we were in this situation? What would be our choice action? How would we handle these type things? Most of the time we haven't because I'm afraid that in many ways we're so busy trying to achieve and accomplish certain things that are tangible that we have forgotten about the things that are so valuable, and those things are the things that are intangible. And I find it interesting that even the scripture talks about for the things that are for the things that are you know the things that are 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 are, are, are that are tangible are basically you know those things are the things that are temporal, but the things that are intangible those are the things that are everlasting, and we forget about that, and oftentimes we forget about it until we're actually faced with it, and when we're faced with it, we don't know what to do, and that's what we're dealing with. And I think as a society, as a country even, we have so much to go back to. I think that we are going to realize that perhaps less was more. When we had less of things, we had more of communication, more of connectivity, more of, if you would, oneness between us. But because of the fact that we do not have that, I often say it very simply that we, we in many ways we got what we wanted, but we lost what we had, and that is what we see society has become. We got what we wanted, but we've lost what we had, because I believe that there's nothing that we're, that is greater than that bond of communication, that understanding of one another, and understanding the fact of how in uh, how intra and how interdependent we are with each other. On a, we're interdependent of one another, and whenever we are pulled apart to think that, for whatever reason, that we're not interdependent upon one another and that that we're better by ourselves, then I think that presents the wrong message to us as a people and as a society. That is what I believe in this day and time. And so we have a lot of work to do around there. We have a lot of work to, 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 to sort out. There's a lot of things that must come to pass in this day and time. And, uh, and, and, and we've got to be a part of it. We can no longer just talk about it. We have to be about it. So I give that back to you at this time with just about uh, 12, 13 minutes left in the program. Uh, Dr. D, what, uh, what is it that we do from here? And when I say from here, meaning the fact now we have systems that are that have been uh, affected by, if you would, our sense of, uh, of of miscommunication systems that have been affected by uh, by our lack of uh, consideration for one another. How is it that we turn this around, except for we start internally in our homes? I believe that you know from the home we can change systems. But I don't believe that the systems can necessarily change homes unless homes are willing to change. Well, that's a good way of uh, putting it, because what can change the system and there's a start in the home and systems can't change in the home unless the systems on the outside are changed, but they're, be, they're affected by each other. 
Absolutely. You're saying that the, uh, I often say in business that the, when I'm studying the organization of the behavior, the behavior of the organization, I'm actually studying the behavior of the people in the organization because they make the behaviors in the organization. So when Absolutely. you talk about the system in the home, the system in the home directs the system of the laws that we have to follow. Because those laws are based on what is coming out of the home that may be causing any disruption or unsatisfaction in how we govern ourselves. But that's why it starts in the home. It starts from the day of our birth, okay? It starts, and, and that's where development begins. That's where our cognitive values begin, from the day of our birth. So we have been with mother, man and woman, has now conceived a child. And it's up to them to bring that child up morally well with good values. And when you begin, you begin by walk by walking and talking with them, not necessarily to them, but with them. Today's children start feeding back. I was with a, a little girl three years old who was telling me that her mother took the wrong direction coming home, and that's why they were late. And her mother looked at her. I said, did, she, did you tell her that? She said, no, she was in the back seat in her car seat. But so I'm saying that it's very early. You talk to them, you, and they understand. It's, I, I don't know if it's in the air, but they understand. So you talk early, and you get feedback. And so you're talking with them, not to them. Get feedback. And what did, what did you, how did it make you feel when we went the wrong way? And she can say, this is, I felt like we were lost. Or so, you know, something. Get that. And then that starts to keep the communication because you're hearing what's going on in their child's head. And at the same time, the child is hearing what's going on in your head. So when you say, for instance, as a parent or, again, I say the word person in control with the authority, and you say, don't touch that stove because it's hot. Okay, that's understanding. But if you just say don't touch the stove, the child is going to touch it anyway because they want to know why. So you give a full detail explanation. You know, you say, you go on, and some parents will say, why do I need to tell them? I don't have to tell them. They just do what I tell them to do. But help them to understand why they need to do what you're telling or asking them to do. And that's something else. Talking, telling the difference between telling and asking. They said, "Why should I ask that five-year-old if he's ready for bed? He's going to bed whether he's ready or not." But the point is, you say it's time for bed. Let's go, okay? And he says, "I don't want to go to bed." So I didn't ask you if you wanted to go to bed. I said, "It's time to go to bed." And your answer should be, "Okay, mommy. Okay, daddy. Thank you." Something of that sort. Trying to get the child. In that range, that's up to the beginnings of the development. Because they don't know to talk back to you unless you demonstrate or allow someone else or TV to demonstrate to them that it's all right to talk back to you. Absolutely. And I think the art of communication has become a lost art, even in the way that we propose things, the way that we say things. And, and because it's been such a lost art, I think that uh, in many ways it has contributed to the disconnect. 
is is contributed to it. You know, in your example that you talked about, you know, the young girl who was able to point out, hey, we're late because mom took the wrong turn, or for that individual who recognizes the fact that, you know, even when you're given instructions or whatever, that there must be a point of clarity. You know, uh, we are beyond the time for you to say, well, do it just because I said so. No, I need to understand because if we're going to teach them the reason, if we're going to teach them to make choices, then they need to understand why they are doing things. And that's what's important. That's the difference between, because think about it. If we don't teach that type of thinking, we actually set them up to be very easily misled. You know, why is it that this child would follow the guy who was trying to persuade them to get them in games? In games, not only is it because of the fact of the, perhaps this young man not feeling connected to a neutral, uh, uh, to a nuclear family unit, but oftentimes because of the fact the gang member was willing to explain to them why this would benefit them or why, you know, uh, this would be a good fit. And oftentimes we are left with just saying, because I said so. And that doesn't teach them how to reason. That doesn't teach them how to make uh, intellectual decisions inside of things. And I think that we have a moral obligation uh, to be able to do so. And I think it's so important. I think it's important that we take responsibility for our actions. And I often tell parents, and I tell ourselves, that children are very impressionable. And we have to be very careful in terms of what we allow to be displayed in front of them. Because once again, they learn what they live and 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 when we allow hostility and those things to become part of the fabric of how they've been brought up, they themselves will learn to respond very much in that same way. Um, you hear hostility in their voices. You hear criticism in their voices. You hear those things that are coming up. And so, therefore, we have a responsibility. And oftentimes I said, if we don't want to do it for ourselves, let's do it for them because we're shaping their tomorrow and ultimately their tomorrow will impact us as well. So with that being said, in, in terms of that, um, uh, we're looking forward to being able to um, move forward and get an update even on the story that took place with the two brothers outside of Atlanta area today, and we'll be looking to get an update on those type things. But uh, most of all, I want to also kind of, uh, if you would, prepare our audience uh, for upcoming shows. Of course, the month of October is coming up at National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, but there are many different things that we hope to be doing before that time. Um, there are some great things that are coming down the pike, and you'll hear more about them in the days and weeks to come. And um, I want each and every one to make themselves a, a, a promise because, see, we can all do something about this. We can. There's a piece of it that we own, and that part that we own is the part that we can control. And that the fact that we can we can pledge and promise to ourselves to be responsible, promise to ourselves, to live violent free lives, promise to ourselves to be able to practice long-suffering and tolerance and patience, to be able to practice amongst ourselves respect and mutual uh, respect of one another, because it is going to take those things and more in order to be effective, in order to help eradicate this whole issue called domestic violence, and to in order to begin to make a difference. If we're going to see a difference, it begins now, and it begins with us. For the ruin of a nation begins in the homes of its people. 
Well, it's coming up on 1023, so that means that it's time to begin to get out of here. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening. I want to thank so very much our our special guest and caller, uh, Dr. Douglas, for calling in always with such valuable contribution, as well as our other caller there, Mrs. C., who called in. And for all of you that are still listening on the line, as always, we appreciate you uh, listening in with us, and we ask you to join us on next week when Hope and Healing, A Journey to Wholeness, shall return. And until that time, we say to you, be blessed. Remember, there is no excuse for domestic violence. And remember that you can make a difference. Until that time, this is J.R. Thicklin saying good night. You're listening to the Soul of America Radio. You're listening to Hope and Healing, a journey to wholeness with your host, J.R. Thicklin. And remember, you can catch this show every Monday night, 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern and 8 o'clock p.m. Central. And give them a call tonight at 323-784-9638. 323-784-9638 This is Soar. Two three seven eight four nine six three eight. You give Jay a call right now. And now back to the show.
hope and healing. Attorney Jehovah, I'll see you next week, same time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time, 8 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock in the Mountain Time Zone, 6 o'clock in the Pacific Time Zone, and wherever you may be around the globe. Until that time, you have a good evening.